We are going to uh, conclude a conversation. It's not been a long conversation. We just began it last week, but it's talking about the age to come. Uh, the age to come uh, is the idea that there's two periods of history, that the, the present age will go on for some period of time. We don't know how long, but it will continue for a while. And then at some point, uh, the, the coming age, the, the next age will begin. And so we talk about that. We call it the age to come because it hasn't arrived yet. Or sometimes we talk about it as eternity, uh, that eternity is is the the uh, word that means that coming age. And because the, the coming age has no end, uh, it will go on for a long time. And that's where we get our common word for eternity, meaning uh, something that goes on for a long time. So eternity is the name of that age, and it characterizes uh, that age. Um, and so so it's called uh uh, e- eternity and things that dis- uh, the, the way we would describe it as we say it is eternal. Another word for it is the resurrection because uh, everyone who who will be a part of it uh, may not be living anymore. That there will be people who will be a part of that age, but they may not be living. In fact, it may not happen until we've all died, in which case we would be raised with them. And so because because so many people have already died who will be a part of that coming age, uh, it is sometimes called the the age of the resurrection or the resurrection. So, um, so it's called by these different names: the age to come, eternity, the resurrection. And we're talking about it. And last week we we addressed the the first question, which is, well, that's great, but is it all just wishful thinking? And what we talked about last week, and you can uh, listen online if you if you missed that, you can you can catch up online. Uh, but what we saw is that some people came to Jesus and they said they said we don't believe in the age to come; that this age is all there. Is and so we we talked about that. Jesus replied, uh, telling them that that it was all through the Hebrew Scriptures that even in the first five books, the books of the Law, it was a part of that, and it's even more clear in different parts of the Hebrew Scriptures. And that is what Jews generally believe today. Religious Jews today believe in the resurrection because they they see it all through the Hebrew Scriptures, and they believe that those promises of God. Are, will be fulfilled because God is faithful. And they look to their own history, the history of the Exodus and the history of the exile, and they say, God is a God who keeps his promises. So they believe in the resurrection because it is all through their scriptures. Christians believe it too, but in our case, uh, we, we notice that it's in the Hebrew scriptures, but the reason we believe in the resurrection is because we believe Jesus has already demonstrated it. Jesus himself has been raised from the dead, and when he returns, that will be the uh, the beginning of the uh, age to come. So we believe in the resurrection because Jesus has already um, initiated it at some level, and he will bring it to its completion at some point in the future. So Christians believe in that. In our book, the, the New Testament is is a record of the the uh, discussions and the thinking that the early church had as they tried to make sense of what are the implications for their lives and, and for ours uh, in light of the uh, the resurrection. So both Christians and Jews believe in the resurrection uh, because we see it in the scriptures and because we've seen it demonstrated in Jesus. So that was the the, the first question, is this just uh, wishful thinking? But the second question is, what will it be like? Uh, how how will it be characterized? And and we we want to know questions about is it is it going to be utterly different? I mean, will I even recognize myself? Will I be will I be so different that I don't even see it as part of my story? Will it be a whole new person's story? Uh, what about my loved ones? 
What about dogs? Do dogs go to heaven? We ask questions. Will it be recognizable? Will the age to come, if we're going to be part of it, will it be something we recognize when we get there? So we ask that question, but we also ask the, the, the flip side of that question. We ask, you know, will it be too recognizable? Will it essentially be more of the same? A couple of weeks ago, as we uh, concluded Daylight Savings Time, I saw a meme online and I shared it on my own uh, um, timeline. Uh, and it, the meme said, um, you know, remember to set your clock. But what it, what it was said, the way it said that was, um, you get an extra hour of 2020. And what makes it funny is nobody wants an extra hour of 2020. We'd be delighted if 2020 ended right away and we got to begin 2021 because it's been that kind of a year. So we, we like the idea of eternal life. We like the idea of, of a future reality, um, after this life. But, but at the same time, we don't want it to be too much like this life. We wouldn't, certainly wouldn't want to have 2020 that went on forever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. Nobody wants that. So will it be recognizable on the one hand, but will it be too recognizable on the other hand? Those are the questions we have about the, the resurrection, um, uh, that we're going to look at today because, because, uh, as Jesus said, or Jesus suggested last week, that there's better places to look for an illustration, uh, that answers these questions than in the, the law, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. There's better pictures. We're going to look at one of those today. We're going to look at, um, a passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, so Isaiah describes that coming age, and we're going to be looking at it. And as we do, we need to remember that this is an illustration, that, uh, that this is not a photograph that they, they didn't have photographs at the time of Isaiah and, and nobody was expecting something to be um, an exact representation of the future. That is, it is a picture. And, and that makes sense because if it's something that is anything other than more of the same, then it would be different. Um, then because it would be different, um, then we may not have words for it. Certainly, um, people living in the past wouldn't have words even for our current age, much less um, the the age to come. So we understand that there's going to have to be some comparisons and, and analogies. There's going to have to be metaphors that are used to describe this coming age if it is anything other than, you know, this exact moment in history. So we, we understand that we need to have uh, um, any illustration will, will be metaphorical, at least in part. The other thing we need to realize is if we're looking uh, out into the future, uh, we're looking, you know, down a long, long hallway. And so it, it, in that light, it's sometimes maybe hard to see what the order of things are, that, that our perspective, um, standing where we are, may not make it clear whether this thing happens before that thing or how much earlier. And are, are there segments within the age to come? We just don't have the right perspective to see that. So, so um, we, we recognize that any illustration is going to have those those sorts of uh, uh, limitations. And so with that, let's go ahead and, um, uh, look at this. Um, uh, and, um, the, uh, <coughs> pardon me, trying not to cough. All right. So, um, we're picking up, uh, Isaiah's uh, vision in, uh, chapter 17. Uh, God speaks through the prophet and, and God says this, he says, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. So God says, I'm going to make something new. But at the same time, the past is a piece of it. 
Um, it, the, the past is there, it's just that it won't come to mind. So there is some kind of continuity, that, that God is not just starting over again with a totally blank slate. Uh, you know, God is not, you know, consigning this age to, to the, the scrap heap and starting over fresh. God is, is making this age new. Jesus talks about how he makes all things new, and this is the same idea, that God is renewing creation, or we might say renovating creation. God is taking the creation as it exists, and he's, he's making it new. So I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. He says past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. So what kind of, what kind of, uh, character will this new age? Well, he says, he says, be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. So it's going to be good. It's going to be something that, that makes us glad and rejoices. More than that, it says we can start now because God is faithful. God keeps his promises. We can begin to rejoice now in the midst of our hardships and difficulties. We can remember that this age is not the final act, that there's going to be uh, more to the story that comes up um, at at the beginning of, uh, or, or as the as the age to come takes place, so so we can we can be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. And he says, um, because I'm the reason for that is I'm creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. So uh, what he means by Jerusalem, or certainly what Isaiah's audience would have assumed, is he means the the place where the temple is, the place where God's people come to to access God, to be part of the the religion that is centered on God. So the place where heaven and earth meet is the temple, and Jerusalem is the home of the temple. So he's saying, I'm creating the the meeting place between heaven and earth as a source of joy and gladness. So so uh, the, the the future is one in which uh the relationship people have with God is one that is characterized by joy and gladness. And he says, and not just on our end. In verse 19, he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. God will join in the joy. God will join in the gladness because God will be delighted by by what he has made, the, the people and the, the creation that he has made, that it will be a source of, of joy and gladness for everyone, including God. And... Um, uh, he closes out verse 19 by saying, no one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. That no one will ever hear the sound of crying or weeping. That, you know, that the saying, uh, forever is a long time. That's the promise God is making. That how, however long it is until the, 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 the next age, the, uh, the, the beginning of eternity or the resurrection, however long that is, that's a blink compared to the, the length of the age to come, that it is a truly a an age without end. It is it is unending time. And God is saying, never again will there be the sound of weeping or crying. And then he gives two illustrations. He says, No more will babies live only a few days, or the old fail to live out their days. The one who dies at a hundred will be like a young person, and the one falling short of a hundred will seem cursed. Now, there's two two ways to interpret that because we we might ask, wait a minute, are there going to be babies in in the age to come? Will people be uh, reproducing? Will there be uh, 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 new people who did not exist as part of the, the the previous age? Will they be part of the age to come? And will there be dying? Well, it's hard to imagine that there could be dying if there will never again be weeping or crying. So so. Uh, 
uh, people have tried to interpret this in different ways, and there's two two basic ways. One of them says this is a place where where the 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 perspective makes it unclear that there may be some some initial uh, um, period of time in which there is uh, where where there are babies and there is some dying at the beginning of this. And so people sometimes talk about the end times, meaning the end of this current age and the beginning of the the next age. So people sometimes talk about the end times. So that's that's one understanding is that is that this is talking about that very beginning, uh, but another understanding is that these are poetic ways of describing something that is unimaginable. In that in that world, uh, everyone would have understood about infant mortality. That um, it hasn't been that long since it was a common occurrence in in our, our modern world too. Um, if you you know go back and. Look at your your family history. Maybe you've got an old Bible. You'll see that there there is somewhere in your family tree, not very far back, there are children dying. So so this is not something that was that was strange, uh, except for only in the last uh, few decades in our in our society today. So uh, uh, children children died young, and old people died young because there because people uh, in in that era there would be an occasional person who might live to be seventy or eighty. But most people died in their 30s, and maybe maybe some of them got up to 40. There was enough people who lived long that people realized how how early most people died. Now today, people are dying um, later and later, but there is still a limit on how old people grow, how how, how old people uh, get to be. So it says, um, one who dies at 100 would be like a young person. So they say, take the oldest person you've ever heard of, the oldest person you can imagine. And if somebody died that early, it would be it would be like like somebody dying in their youth because it just doesn't happen. It's it's something that would be very very unusual for that to happen. And it says, and if somebody died at less than a hundred, that would be like getting struck by lightning. It says it says they would be like somebody who would seem cursed. So uh, there there's there's this way of looking at it that this this is poetic language to describe something people in that era wouldn't have known how to how to relate to uh, an age in which children never died an age in which uh, men in their prime never died that it would just be unimaginable so they have to so so it has to be illustrated with this this uh, poetic imagery so that's that's uh, verse um, uh, 20 and then we pick it up in 21 it says they will build houses and live in them they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit so the picture here is not one you might have seen cartoons of somebody in heaven and they're sitting on a cloud maybe they've got a harp and they're sitting in a robe or something that's not the picture here there's a picture of productivity even creativity that people are are living rich lives with with activities that that bring them bring them joy so they are building houses they're they're planting vineyards and uh, it goes on to say they won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. Now, it doesn't mean you can't share. It doesn't mean that, you know, get out of my house. It means it means no one can take it from you. That in in the Hebrew scriptures, that is that is seen as a curse, that that if uh, the people abandon God, then God uh, withdraws his his protection. And then the neighboring empire comes in and they take everything. They, they knock down the houses and they steal all the produce or something that that's a picture of a curse. That, that this is saying that that won't happen. God will never withdraw his protection. God will never withdraw his favor. And so you can, you can build without any sense that this is all just a waste of time because somebody's going to come along and take it. So there's this idea that, that, um, that, uh, 
the the vineyards you you plant and the houses you build, they will be yours to enjoy. And it goes on to say, um, uh, they won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. That that because because you're living for a long time, uh, you're you're living like a tree in comparison. Your house will will wear out before you do. You know you're not going to be. Uh, in a situation where you, you get some, you know, uh, the old program, this old house where you have to fix it up. This will be a case where, where you live so much longer than your house, you can do those repairs or you can say, you know what, I'm ready to, to have a new house. So, so, um, you will make full use of the, the, the handiwork of, of your life. And it goes on in verse 23, they won't labor in vain nor bear children to a world of horrors. So this is again, uh, the idea that, that, um, in the Hebrew scriptures, when, when the people rejected God, God would, um, would told them that there would be, there would be trouble, that they would be invaded by a, a neighbor or that the, 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 Ripples of what they were doing would have would have an impact in in their own children and, and grandchildren that that they couldn't live lives the way they wanted to necessarily without it having an impact on uh, coming generations and and we know that we know you know the reason the reason our mom was that way was because of her mother or the reason dad dad was that way is because of his grandfather and you know there's this idea of a legacy that sometimes has these generational impacts. And that was seen as, as something where you, you needed to, to, to live according to God's instructions. Otherwise, those, those ripple effects would damage people in, in your life. And so, so, uh, you know, your, your descendants. And this is saying that won't be a problem. They won't labor in vain nor bear children to a world of horrors because they will be people blessed by the Lord. They will not be abandoned by God or cursed by God because God will Continue to be in relationship with him, and because of that, the relationship that they have with their descendants will be good. They they will be blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. So God will heal those relationships, however however much uh, pain or or difficulty there is. That God would would be at work in in those two. That they're part of this new uh, earth and new heaven. That God is is remaking even those relationships, and God says His own relationship will be better. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. So God says that He's healing the relationships among the people, among uh, between the people and Himself. And He goes on in verse twenty-five: Wolf and lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy at any place on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So uh, God is saying that this extends even out beyond humanity to all of creation that that animals and and um the 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 world we live in will be will be renewed that that even the animal kingdom will be will will have a different relationship uh with people and with God because of the healing that God is doing that um the wolf and the lamb will graze together and so forth. So the picture here is one of of blessing after blessing of of improvement after improvement. So, uh, so is it going to be different than our current age? It will be different. It will be recognizable. There will be continuity, but it will be renewed. It will be renovated in all the ways that matter in terms of our relationships with other people, in terms of the futility of our, of our lives and our, and our ability to, to make something and not have it just be uh, squandered. That, that, 
in all the ways we might hope that the age to come would be different, it will be different. And it is this, it is this promise from God, this, this as one of many places where God makes these promises about the new age, it is these promises that it have, have given hope to Christians because this world is hard. Christians have never denied that this world is hard. If, if you ever heard a, a TV evangelist saying that if you believe in Jesus, then all your problems will go away, that's not real Christianity. That's, that's something else because, because we know that this world is hard. Sometimes there's a 2020 and, and we, we are as likely to be hurt by a 2020 as anybody else. But the promise we have is that God is good, that it is not a sign that God has, has forgiven, forgotten us or has given up on us. Uh, it's not a sign that God is, is um, uh, cursing us or that God has abandoned us to our own devices. It is simply the reality that the world is sometimes hard. But we can take hope because this is not the end of the story, that however bad our 2020 has been, however bad 2020, uh, 2021 may be, that that's not the end of the story. There is an age to come, and we can take hope because the God who will usher it into existence is the God who saved us by sending his son Christ Jesus. And because of that, we know the age to come will be a good age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these pictures, these illustrations that appear throughout the scriptures. And um, uh, we thank you even more for the the knowledge that they are not simply happy pictures they are they are um, uh, they are promises that we can see already fulfilled in the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ and promises that we can take hope in when when our lives are difficult. We pray that you would keep them before us as the the rest of twenty twenty goes goes along and uh, whenever we have uh, struggles in our life. He would help us to remember this is not the end of the story. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.